You're listening to the After The Show podcast, the weekly movie review show from your friends at ascully.com. Alright, so what did you think of that new intro? Since that we've, we've done 200 and... This is 217th show and we've had the same intro. For 216 of those shows. Has it been? Are you sure every single time? Even the very Absolutely. beginning? Yes. So the new intro, which I just did. How do you like it? You didn't You didn't hear it, did you just like <laughs> Not just now. Uh, when did I first hear it? Uh, oh, yes. When I was on the toilet one day, you were yelling at me that you did something. And uh, you turned it on and I could hear it. And it was awesome. It's, I um, won't be hearing it every single week, so that's not really up to me. It's up mu- to the person. The music is like 8-bit kind of uh, old, it's like decorative old Nintendo music. music. <laughs> like decorative, yeah. intro-ish. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, I thought I'd change, the, change it up a little bit, change the intro, give us your feedback, tell us what you think of the new intro. Um, and that's uh, we didn't have any other before the show discussion, apart from you're eating some uh, <laughs> butter Cheetos. things. That I really dis- I dislike <laughs> that flavor. I uh, wanted popcorn and I wanted Cheetos. I walked past these; they're on sale, and I'm like, "What the hell? Just get some really nasty, bad for you, salty, unfriendly snack." So if said talk breaks out into a um, <laughs> salty sweat, <laughs> I'm also drinking this cherry cherry wheat Samuel Adams beer. It's quite delicious. Let me sample. The, I'll, I, don't, right. I don't drink beer, but I will taste things. See, now you're experiencing the before the after show discussion as it usually happens. You can definitely taste the cherry mm-hmm. in that one, yeah. But I don't like the taste of beer, so that kind of neutralizes the goodness. <laughs> Alright, so that's our review of food for this week. <laughs> uh, it's Saturday, March the 31st. Last day in March. It's April Fool's Day tomorrow. Are you going to play a joke on these people? No. The joke is that intro is not the new intro. We're just fooling you. No, no, it is. Um, so, it's Saturday, March the thirty first, two thousand and twelve. This is after the show number two hundred and seventeen. The movie we're going to be looking at this week is extremely loud and incredibly close. Um, a title so long it wouldn't fit on my home theater marquee. Mm-hmm. I had to shorten it down to X loud and incredibly close. Close, yeah. So. Couldn't fit it all on. It's that long. It's the longest title I've seen for a long time. Because every yeah. week I do put it up. Unless on you target like Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black, whatever, whatever, yeah. Curse of the Black Dead Man's Chest. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, so this is a Blu-ray release. We're looking at, it's a 2011 movie nominated for Oscars. Um, Max von Sydow, I believe, nominated for the Oscar, wasn't he? I do not remember. Um... And it's released on Blu-ray on the 6th of March, 2012, so you can get it now. It's a PG-13. Its tagline is nothing. I think its tagline should be extremely loud and incredibly close. Good tagline. Uh, and it's from our friends at Warner Brothers, and you're going to give us the synopsis of this fine movie. How about incredibly loud and extremely close? Nice. <laughs> um, synopsis. A young boy in search of a way to cope with the death of his father. Based on a book. Mm-hmm. But that's not the synopsis of the movie. No, but just to let it... Just the... is what it is. Yeah. Um... And in the process, examination of... It really does focus on this specific kind of a thing. Coping with loss and yeah. change. And processing it, and how we all try to box it up, and it's just, it's a wild thing. It's not controllable, so. 
So yeah, extremely loud, incredibly close. I said last week, even though this was nominated for Oscars and we usually keep up on the Oscar films, this year this is one that I had nothing, no idea about what it oh, was. Oh, me either. Even when they showed you the clips at the Oscars, which were actually just clips of Max von Sydow um, looking thoughtfully at the camera and stuff uh, and looking at this boy. And Sandra Bullock all, saying, I miss him. That's all I knew. And it didn't make any sense. It was completely out of context. So I had no idea. So going into this today, completely fresh. Um, and I must say... I thought it was really awesome. I mean, it was it's moving, it's good filmmaking, visually interesting to look at, um, amazing performances. Especially. Adventure. It's a big adventure. It is. In a different way than a... You know, mm-hmm. It's not your know, average uh, adventure movie. It's a different... It's an adventure into everything, isn't it? Into the mind, into the city, into the... You know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was extremely, extremely... Impressed. <laughs> I was extremely news. loud and incredibly close. Keep talking, I've thought of a recommendation. Extreme, I was extremely impressed by it. Um, so, did you know anything else about it? I mean, absolutely nothing, except Tom Hanks was in it. Yeah, and um, you know what? It's, it's actually funny, this is one thing I should mention. On the cover for this movie, it's got the uh, boy with his hands over his... And it's a really cool cover. And then it's got Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock in really big letters. Well, you know, the majority of the... And they're not... I mean, yeah, they're good. Sure. But this boy's name is right down there at the bottom in very small letters. (laughs) I mean, his name should be at the top. But as we know, they have to sell off the name of stars, but, you know. Do you think they're snotty enough to insist? No, I don't. I just think it's marketing says Mm. people want to see Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock. Nobody knows who this kid is, right? True. Um, that's the thing. But the kid does get the whole cover to himself, so, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, I, th- I felt at the end of the movie like I'd been through the ringer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really sad. It also, you know, it's no secret, I don't think, about the 9 It's nine. New York City and 9-11 is involved in this movie. I didn't know that, so it was a secret to me. So it might right, I did, I did know somebody. That, that it has something to do with 9-11. Not exactly what. But anyway, um, you know, I didn't live in New York City. I didn't lose anybody in that thing. But I felt the, you know, massiveness of it and watched it on the day, like, which, you know. I think that to me that goes beyond that. That is the catalyst for these specific feelings. But in truth, in life, unless someone grows old and gets sick and dies naturally, to cope with someone dying unnaturally or too soon or without any answer is the issue it isn't yes it is specific to that because i guess the book was written around that or not i have no clue yeah it was specifically i don't want people to think that's what it's about it's about coping with death and loss and that is just the catalyst for this personal this character story so it's not just that even though it's a very piercing kind of a thing and it makes you go, oh, just a little bit more. You, if you took that out of the equation and it was something else, some other horrible, unexplainable tragedy or crime, it would be the same sort of a journey. So. And they do actually treat that respectfully oh, in yeah? the movie. It's not, it's not like they just inserted no, that, no, no, um, no. to be you know, shocking. Right, that's why I'm saying like it's a big part of it, but if you step back... That isn't really what it's about. No, it's it's actually you know about 
it's about a lot of things. It's about growing up. It's about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, this boy may or may not have a condition of some kind that it's explored slightly. Mm-hmm. Questionable. I mean, he says it one time, but... Yeah. He's just a determined But the way he acts person. also. Sure. Like, I mean, it, he's, not, he's not your average kid. No, In no. real life, he's not your average kid either, so <laughs> it's a perfect casting, really. Yeah. Um, so this movie's... Don't want to really spoil. There is an adventure. How it comes to be an adventure is the best part to be discovered for yourself, I think. Because... Uh, Absolutely. Because it's unexpected. And interesting. You know? And it's... You know, it's almost like a... Uh, <laughs> like a treasure hunt or something. At, at, at its heart. Which is really cool. I, I liked it. And, you know, he goes through a lot of interesting... Uh, I'm trying not to... Yeah, don't. I mean, I, I, think I need to discuss it in some way. Is, yeah. Well, you can, you know... I mean, I don't know how to say it without ruining it. I do, but I don't know what you want to say, so... All right, you say what you were going to say without ruining it. Well, you've already said most of it. It is an adventure, right? So it's sort of a quote-unquote road movie-ish attitude, idea, that you're going on a journey. Along the way, you find different people, different things, different things that enlighten you or sort of, like, inform your journey and you as a person so that you learn, as we do, you know, the journey is the thing. I mean, that's really all it's about. There's also a lot of humour in the movie. Oh, yeah, a lot. From, but humour, it's not your, it's also not typical humour, but it's just because this boy acts in a certain way because of a certain thing and because of the situation he's in. So things that come out of his mouth are not, what would come out of every little boy's mouth? So it, it it's quite funny, you know. And there are scene the scene with Viol- Viola Davis made me laugh a lot. Absolutely, because you know she's going through something. Mm-hmm. And he's like a breath of fresh air almost into this, you know, into this world. So the movie's mainly about the characters. So I want to go into the cast before we really ruin the story. Because I, I think this is a movie you should go to, like we did, not knowing very much about it. You know, I don't know how much the trailer shows because a lot of people go and look at the trailer to see if they're interested in a movie. Hopefully, it doesn't show too much. I feel like it might show too probably. Much. Um, so try and go in, and it's not. You're not going to come out of this movie happy and uplifted because I wasn't. Even though, just I was. for the whole journey, I was. Was you? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I wasn't. I found it extremely joyous, joyful. Right. See, so I guess you could get different experiences from it, because I did not. Um, And that's not spoiling anything. I'm just talking about the whole journey of it, start to finish. I would say I was uh, sad, etc., about 88% of the time. Right. And I don't see how that makes the whole of it, though, depressing or sad. No, I'm not depressing. It has an uplifting message Mm -hmm. at its heart, but the the scenes are heavy. To me, it's got a question mark at its heart. There is no up or down, and that is comforting to me. I think the thing at its heart, actually, is not even a question mark. It's the reality of things mm-hmm. is is at its heart, which is a question mark because you ne- you can't. And it's you actu- can't, there's actually a dialogue in the movie that you can't define everything. You can't explain everything. You can't. Sandra Bullock says it. Yeah, you can't guess what's going to happen. You can't. You can't control everything in life. It is a question mark. 
And there are times when that is all you're going to get. And the process that you figure out to cope with that is the key. And I guess the key. <laughs> and I guess Sandra Bullock talking to the uh-huh. talking to him and when I said she actually mm-hmm. physically spells it out is the literally the mm-hmm. what the movie is about. So moving on to the cast here. So we've got like um uh, Tom Hanks, Mr. Tom Hanks, uh you know, indie actor. Not many people know of him as uh, Thomas Sh- Shell. Mm-hmm. Um, is Tom Hanks? Where do we see Tom Hanks in last that we really didn't like? The one with the girl and the house and the Larry Crown. Correct. Yeah, not good. It wasn't bad. It was for me bad. It was actually bad. But it wasn't bad. It was just really, really neutral. It wasn't bad. It to was me, it well made. Bad. It was just vanilla. Mm, yes, that doesn't make it bad though. No, in my opinion, bad. I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but this one, you know, he he does the Tom Hanks thing. There's literally a Tom Hanks thing, isn't there, that he does? Absolutely. And he does it. <laughs> and and you get what you what's on the tin. Like if it says Tom Hanks, you the know trusted, what you're trusted middle-aged possibly charming, possibly trusted and um what's the thing with also um and my friend Andy Dufresne, that guy, Morgan Freeman. They have a like a built-in um, credit. Thing. Like we give them um, not credit, but um, credibility. Yeah, and that's just it. That just drips that's off what he of brings, them. Right? Yeah, and it, I think it's fairly natural when he's acting, and you've seen he doesn't surprise me at all. In no, this. that's the thing. Um, so yeah, Tom Hanks. Uh, we've also got Thomas. Horn, who is the young boy who I had no idea it's his first time acting. I actually thought I'd seen him in something before, but obviously mm-hmm. not. Um, but what was he? He was on Jeopardy. He was a bo- uh, junior Which champion. Is what? What's Jeopardy? Alex Trebek. We don't have it, I don't think. Answer in the form of a question. We don't have it. So there'll be a lot. Palace. Of- what is the place in England where blah, blah, blah? That's how you answer the. the- a quiz show, you're saying? Yes. Like you a, truly have never heard of Jeopardy. Uh, I have heard of it, but there'll be a lot of English people who listen to this who won't know what that is. I bet that's not true. Because we don't have it. We I never have, have it. have it, but my God. We've never had your version so of it. So many things. Right. First time I'd ever heard or seen of it was uh, when a video game came out about it. Right. And I didn't even know, and I thought, oh, that's an interesting concept uh, to do the questions. Yeah. Like that. So, yeah, Answering, it's, not, yeah. it's not ingrained in us. So. Right. And probably not a lot of other it's people. It's like for Brainiacs. Right, so be, this kid, there must be a kid edition of it. Or, yeah, Junior Jeopardy. Right, and this kid won. He's like the champion. On, and then the producers saw him on there and then asked him, does he yeah. want to be in a movie with Tom <laughs> Hanks? <laughs> and then he, he was, he's in a movie and, oh my God, he's amazing. He's like one of the best kids I have seen acting. It's almost like... An adult inside a kid. Like Absolutely. A, is, I, I, He's not affected. If that's his first... Unfortunately, attempt. I'm afraid for kids like that because then time they're going to get ground up by that machine yeah, and turned into an in, affected kid. In fact, the extras on here like hi- highlight that almost because you've got people who have been in the film business for a long time like Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock talking. And they're talking about this kid saying how enthusiastic, enthusiastic he is and yeah. how... And they're talking about it as in the, you know, you can get this context of, oh, I wish I was like that. Now. Yeah. 
Because to I've me now, this bu- I see the business. Like I don't yeah. see just reading the lines. I, I see the whole thing. Like I have to produce it. I have to do all that. So yeah, it's kind of a fresh air for them. I think just to work with somebody who's not in the business at all. It's a little bit pretentious what he was saying. I really hated it. But he is really good. This kid. Some of the stuff he did, you know, <laughs> he's delivering lines to like Max von Sydow, who is Max von Sydow, who's legendary. But why? Why is Max von Sydow legendary? He's one of those people. Uh, he's been in a lot of movies. For example, name Von Ryan's Express. What's one of that? my favorites. I've never heard of that. No. Nope. Uh, Exorcist. We all know. Bridge over the River Kwai. I do not know. Never seen that one. Do, no, he's been. He's in quite a few war films. Back. Why back. is he legendary? Uh, I think he's just got a huge body of work. He's in a lot of movies. He's been in a lot of movies and he's done a lot of quality performances. He's been nominated all over the place. He's in tons of indie movies too. Like he do, He's done loads of them. So that's why. I mean, he's just a great actor. You're saying that abstractly, but as always a legend, just because you know that. But then when you try to give I, examples... To me, he's a legend for just being in The Exorcist. <laughs> that performance in The Exorcist. I mean, that movie is legendary to me. I mean, it's literally... I still challenge people to give me a better horror movie now to this day. So he's legendary to me anyway. And he is to a lot of people. I know, uh, but I'm just asking why. But in this movie... It's easy to just flippantly say that and not understand why. Well, I just told you why. I know, but I'm still not convinced. Right. I don't have a lot of examples still. But I'm not... That doesn't take away from the quality of what you I can think of 50 movies I've seen him in. I can't think of them, but I can... When I was a kid, he used to be in everything. Right. Like... so it'd be lots of European movies, lots of war movies, Western type movies, as far as I remember, like but like spaghetti Western type movies, um, definitely war movies, stuff like the. Dirt, I know he went in the dirty doesn't, and I don't know what he's been in, but that kind of movie, rough and tumble war movies, um, lots when I was growing up. I don't think I saw him in any other horror movies apart from that one, and you as American audiences probably. Didn't see him as much as we did. Possibly not. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just asking the question. Oh, he is. So, <laughs> definitively. Yeah. So, Sandra Bullock as the mother. Good job. Linda Good job. Shell. Yeah, and I'm not a mega Sandra Bullock fan. Me either. Never really. I mean, she's okay on occasion, but you know, like when she was in the Blind Side and stuff, I it's all right, you know. But um. Here, it's an emotional performance. I, I think it was really good, because they toned Sandra Bullock down. Yeah, she's depressed. Yeah, <laughs> so, so they toned the shows, Sandra Bullock down. Like, it shines through. Yeah, so even when you see her being interviewed on the extras for this movie, she's a different person. You know, they really told her not to be Sandra Bullock, if you know what I'm well, saying. Uh, well, not really. Yeah, what? I think so. I, I think they said... I mean, what's Sandra Bullock, then, to you? The I don't personality think. of Sandra Bullock. Don't think they I know. tone that down via um, clothing, hairstyle, and demeanor. You know. Well, I mean, she's playing a character, so I expect that. But in the extras, she was just her normal self. Exactly, and in the movie, she was not. Right. What are you thinking? No, I just didn't understand what you meant. I mean, yeah, she's playing a character who is depressed and sad. I'm saying that you can play. She could have played a depressed, sad Sandra Bullock. I don't think she did. Right. I think she was drawing from this character. She'd read sure. the script and invented, a, you know, acted. She'd done the Instead act- of what Tom Hanks does, is which... Just- I feel like okay. Tom Hanks was doing 
his thing, the okay. Tom Hanks thing. She was not doing her thing. And I, I feel like she was doing just a Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side, which people think is her finest performance. I actually don't think that is. I think she's just... In that, she was Sandra Bullock, just a bit more, you know, miscongeniality or whatever. You know? <laughs> Scripted. Um, Max von Sydow is the renter. That's his name in this movie. The performance is... Has no words. Fairly I mean, sublime at times. There was a silent movie this year in the Oscars, The Artist. This is a silent performance for Max von Sydow. I mean, it literally is. He doesn't mm-hmm. say anything because he can't speak. We don't know that. We don't know. He doesn't well, speak. <laughs> he, that's how it's in the movie. He, he has yes and no tattooed on his hands. I communicates with his face. It's fantastic. You know, it's it's. There are moments of just you totally get. You are, it. I don't think there are moments. And I, I feel think like other times I feel like it was lots of accidents, but sometimes was pointed. But every effect. single time his face is on the screen. And he can't say anything, and he has to react to this kid who's being a, a very... Emotional and... Because the kid's no problems with sp- spitting out all the emotions and asking every question. And uh, he deals with all of it. And I always got what he was thinking. Absolutely. Without him saying anything, which is hard. I can understand why, you know, you would nominate somebody for that. Sure. Because... It's literally all face. Like you say, maybe it was just luck mm-hmm. or whatever, but I think he got it. We we actually watched a documentary on Max von Sydow's... I don't know what that documentary really was, but we just watched one, didn't we? Um, it was a con- it was called Conversations with Max von Sydow, but it wasn't really, was it? Yeah, it was. It kept him explaining what he was doing, and then it would show what he was doing, and then he'd explain Yeah, but it was... I got a little bit of behind-the-scenes process, but... But it wasn't conversations with him, like it, oh, I disagree because I like it wasn't a sit down. The with son him and asked Jane. the question, and then he was answering the question, and then we'd very, see what was going it seemed on. Very vague, though. Oh. He didn't really speak very much. We're not on the same page today. I disagree. Conversations with Max von Sydow was more like one line, two line answers from when he was asked a question. Mm-hmm. Not much of a conversation. That was what I'm getting. At. Anyway, well, um, the conversations were between he and the director, and we saw lots of that. I think the director spoke more than he did. I think he just looked at him a bit and kind of went, hmm, 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 hmm. I see, I see, hmm. Watch that documentary if you're a listener (laughs) and tell me that that was more one-sided conversations. I didn't say it wasn't. I'm saying I get why they call a conversation with him and you say you don't. That's all I'm saying. I was just being facetious and saying that was actually quite funny that it was called Conversations with Max Monsido considering he said very little throughout the entire 44 minute running time right and in the movie he said nothing right so conversations is funny in itself anyway yes so <laughs> that maybe that's why they did call it that um viola davis plays abby black good i Abby's. also think she just does she's good but i know what i'm getting from her like and i'm never surprised it's just viola davis but it's really quality yep but I'm never surprised. And there are people who surprise me, and there are people who are not who don't. Sandra Bullock surprised you. In this. But not. Never before. Really. Um, Jeffrey Wright plays William Black, who I do not like at all. I have to say that. Why? I find him very actorly, and often bad actorly. 
like he's he overdoes it a little bit. I thought he was good in this. You liked him in this. I, I did not. I he wouldn't have subtle. chosen for that. And um, I don't. I don't know what you mean exactly, but I think that he was in a position of pretty removed from the situation until the time comes, and then. I don't know, I thought it was just... I literally right. liked him in Broken Flowers. And that was it. Because in that bloody one that we just saw, oh God, he was horrible in it. You know? The one with Jake Gyllenhaal on the train. Oh, yeah, yeah. He ruined the movie. Like, he, like any any scenes with Jeffrey Wright in it, I was like, oh, God, it's horrible. Like, Do you remember? And that one movie turns you out to him, or you just... No, that? just throughout oh. the time. I, I've seen him in lots of... You know, he, he crops up here and there, and I've never... I do re- find him quite actorly as well, but in this... But I digged him in act- Broken Flowers. That was a funny thing, because almost maybe the first time I'd ever seen him, I was like, wow, yeah, that's really good in there. And then he never went on to... Right. Quality-wise... Um, you know, carry on, and this was no exception for me. It was just I disagree. Thank you. Did a fine job because it was a a pretty pivotal thing, and he was very held back. And there's lots of expressions again, not lots of words. There was just enough. He had one little slight, to me, sort of a stage reaction to something just thing. in the one moment. But other than that, I think. But he, one just to say he held his own against this kid is pretty funny. But you've you've spent the whole movie watching this kid, and now somebody comes along, and you just want it to stay just as quality. I think he was all right, and I don't I don't have that. I'm pretty neutral on him, so. Yeah, um, and then John Goodman plays Stan the doorman. He's in it very briefly. Um, I don't think John Goodman's good, in my opinion. Is he not a Goodman? I don't find him. I don't know what the appeal is. I, I don't. I've never seen Babe Ruth, and I haven't seen any. Um, I've seen a what couple of movies. Big so all right. I don't remember. I've only seen it like half a time. Actually, so out, of, out of um, Kevin Smith's latest Raising film, Arizona, Red right. State, which uh, I didn't particularly like, the best thing about the whole movie was John Goodman's performance. I really liked him in it. And it was brief. Very. But I think he was really good in it. And I think it's what kind of elevated the movie a little bit for me. I was, I was like, oh, wow, well, you know, that performance... It was pretty serious, yeah, yeah. It was it was subdued. It was interesting. I was interested, you know, from the second you see him on the tel- you know when he gets the phone call in the middle of the night. I and then he, then his section of that. This movie. one was like just sort of like uh, I don't know. He's just throwing. I think in he there. took the subject matter seriously, but for some reason, a few of those lines felt sort of what do you call it? Just like called in. Like, he's standing there, he does his line, done. There's literally nothing to his performance. I mean, no. he, he has it one... It doesn't have to be. He has one page in the script, probably, if that, right? If that, yeah. Yeah, so it's not really. But he is in there, if you like him. This is directed by uh, Stephen Daldry, who also directed The Reader, which is a fantastic movie that you should see. Very. Uh, he also directed Billy Elliot, which I'm not in love with, to be honest. It was okay. I saw it once. I have to see it again, because I remember really liking it. Yeah. Another movie where he worked alongside a young boy and uh, got mm-hmm. got a good performance. That it was definitely a good performance. Um, now, I don't really know a lot about this director, but I feel like I do after watching those extras. Definitely, I think those extras are actually really good at, at showing you what kind of a director this guy is. And if we've seen a lot of directors at work, and this director looks like he wants to get his value out of his act. Absolutely. Every every line, every nuance, every Everything. movement, every head turn, every position. But not bossy. Like, coaxing them, kind of. 
I don't... I mean, he has to work with this boy who will do anything, basically. I think it depends on your perspective. Right. You, you might be like, look, I'm... I'm Max von Sydow. I know how to act. Yeah. He was quite dismissive of him at times. I noticed Max von Sydow just nod his head at him, and he's trying to constantly blah, 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 do this and do that. And he's like, okay, okay. Like, I get it. I've been acting for 150 years. Thank you. You know. And I, I do think Stephen Daldry was, is kind of in love with Max von Sydow as, a, as an actor. Like, oh, my God, it's Max von Sydow. He, oh, my God, he it's comes Max von Sydow. Because he comes up on, like, he, Max von Sydow's just done, he was doing something, doing some acting. And he come up and he's like, "Thank you, sir." Like, it, mm-hmm. like you've just made my movie awesome by doing that. What you just did, acting. And he's just like, "Okay, yeah." <laughs> oh, was it okay? <laughs> <laughs> was that good? Was Are that we good? done? Am I done? <laughs> and Can he's I go? completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this um, Blu-ray comes with a Blu-ray, a DVD, ultraviolet copy. I really like this cover. I think it'd make a great poster. Um, I would have this poster. It. Really, um, the proportion throws me off a bit. If portrays it was the movie carefully um, the, proportioned, the, I would. The like listeners it, don't know what this cover is unless they've seen it. Boy with his hands over his face. However, the face has been enlarged, or the hands have been shrunken to some degree. Yeah. So that kind of bugs me. I kind of like it, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I like the concept absolutely. It says something. There's an award. It says some award here. It's so small. I can't even read it. <laughs> nice. It They're really says, proud. <laughs> we have this tiny little award. Heartland Moving Picture Award. Don't know what that is. Don't either. Um, anyway, so Best Picture Academy Award nominee. To, so it was Best Picture. So best it picture wasn't nominee. Best Picture. It was nominated <laughs> yeah. for Best Picture. So um, it does have some extras. It has four extras, actually. One's the making of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which is really good. It's a 30-minute mm-hmm. It is literally a fly-on-the-wall thing. They're following them around different locations. You get to see the lady who does the costumes. You get to see um, more acting. You don't, there, isn't, there aren't stunts or anything in this movie, so there's no, like, let's go and look at what the stunt department does. No. There is a little bit with a swing. Sure. <laughs> not much. But it's not really a stunt. But you not get much. to see, I think it was quite good, apart from, like you said, Tom Hanks talking. It was kind of a bit... Too businessy. Yes. Too I think, much Hollywood. I feel that's where he's at now. I'm a Hollywood mogul. Yeah, I feel that's where this he's at. This kid really knows how to turn it on when the camera closes up on him. He's got the like, chart. Oh, you just cheapened the shit out of it, man. And if anybody else in that segment said, he's got great chops. He's got the chops, the acting chops. He said it so to Andrew Sandra Bullock. Yeah, and they, they didn't see each other. It's so dismissive. Yeah. So um, it's a pretty good making of, though. Uh, and you do get to see the director's process, which I always really like. Uh, and then there's something called Finding Oscar, which is how they got hold of this young boy to act in this movie. They show you the tiniest clip from the Jeopardy thing. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of on-set stuff with him, and uh, everybody kissing everybody's ass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then there's something called Ten Years Later, which is very interesting. You can explain that one. The one about, what was it again? Ten Years Later. Right. About the... Well, if you don't know what it is, I, I'll better explain it. Um, it's um, about ten years after the uh, Twin Towers went right. down. Right, right. Do you not know? Yeah. Do you want me to explain it fully? Well, well, just... I mean, it's just that in the movie, they have the memorial wall because it's a few days after 9-11, and there's a picture close up, but I knew immediately it was a real person from 9-11, and this just tells the story of that person. With interviews with the family, right. etc. It's really good, um... 
some interesting stuff happened o- along mm-hmm. around the film and that, um, which we won't spoil for you, but I found it pretty interesting, and the director talks about it. And then finally, there's a 44-minute documentary called Max von Sydow Dialogues with the Renter, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. But it's filmed by his... Son. Son. And it's just... It's literally following Max von Sydow around doing his scenes. Right, but it's really telling of how the director deals with him, talks to him, gets the scenes he I, wants. I think him. it's really great because it's an outsider's view of it. It's not a Hollywood-produced thing. Absolutely. It's just... It's literally fly on the wall. There's no talking heads about anybody saying anybody's great or anything. It's, let's follow Max von Sydow around. When he's doing important scenes in this movie, let's, like you say, ask him what he's doing, and then let's see it. And at one point, he says, we're here. Um, I'm a little confused. Yeah. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know where we are, but <laughs> I think we're between the East River and the ocean, and... Uh, a lot of birds, and he has an umbrella over his head, and pretty soon you see someone else's hand come in and take the umbrella and hold it for him. You know, he seems a very peaceful individual to me. Seemed, I don't know if he's being reflective on his work. I don't know if he's getting into the frame of mind I to felt be like this, this documentary is his son, who's doing the filming, is thinking, my, my father's 150 years old. I better start, if I haven't already been, documenting some of these movies he's doing later in life because he may not be here for I mean, he's not 150 years old. He's close. <laughs> he's pretty close. I said to you when we watched the Oscars and he was in the in the crowd in the Oscars, oh, look, there's Max von Sydow. He was old in The Exorcist. Absolutely. Like, Seemed old. Like in The Exorcist, in those opening scenes where he's in the desert, he looks really old. He looks just like he does now. When I was a kid <laughs> watching The Exorcist, I was like, oh, look at this old guy in the desert. Like, like really wrinkly and old guy. And this is, what, 30 years later? This is 40... 40... 40 years later, right? I don't know. 72, maybe, The Exorcist, right? Or 71, maybe. Right. Yeah. That was a long well, time. Yeah, and, and he was old then, and, and now... I actually think he actually looks less old now He's than he did. <laughs> He's been smoothed over. It's kind of weird. So, um, yeah, so the, those those are the extras. In conclusion on this movie, I think it's fantastic. I, I recommend it to almost every human being on the planet. <laughs> if you've got a heart. If you've got a heart, but I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it to everyone because I know some people would be bored or overly oh. emotional. Or Yeah, I think I think it's good to be uh, to think about things like this. Yeah, but not everyone would take it that way. So I know people who would not take it any deeper than, ugh, God, is this it? Yeah, I get it. It's no, they don't. Those people don't deserve to watch movies. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, I so if you are, if you have a brain, uh, watch and this heart. movie. If you have the combination of a brain and a heart, and you deserve to watch movies, yes. then you should watch this movie. Yeah, and it's a really good Blu-ray transfer. I have to say, I like this director's um, cinematography. He mm-hmm. does a lot of the um, they call it uh, where the focal length is really short. So like. Every like somebody up near the camera is really sharply in focus, and everything else is defocused, and it kind of gives you this dreamy kind of feel. Yeah, and it, and it happens a lot. Like he does, he does some flyovers of the city at the beginning, and he defocuses the edges of it all, and it makes you feel kind of floaty yeah. or something. And there's a lot of that going on. Even even quiet scenes where it's just Oscar talking to Max von Sydow's character, that the renter, it, they're in a cafe or something. He does something with the camera that's like... I, I kept looking at it thinking, wow, that's a really nice... Gives it like a painterly look sometimes. Just 
attention to detail. Yeah. I think it's called depth of field, the actual technique. Because they defocus everything, but yet it looks very, very surreally sharp at the, at the front of the picture. But yeah, I love that. And uh, it looked really good on Blu-ray. Um, very good, in fact. Pristine looking. Uh, surround sound... Pretty good too. Music just wells up whenever. Awesome music to be feeling score. something. Julian Schnell, I believe, did the music. I really liked it. This, this, I'm assuming it's um, Oscar's theme that kind mm. of uh, comes up every so often. It's this small tinkle of a it piano. Builds and builds and builds, and then, and then you feel an emotion, and then it goes down. But it starts with this tinkling of the piano, this little riff, and it kind of builds to this orchestral thing that goes on at times. But yeah, I really liked it. And that score is so important in this kind of movie. I know you can. I know it can be cheap sometimes. Like if you, you yeah, because you can tug at people's heartstrings with a score, no problem, right? But I think it was not overly used. It not overused. There's lots of very quiet moments where yes. the score doesn't even come up. Um, so yeah, thanks to Warner Brothers for the Blu-ray. In conclusion, highly recommended. Not nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. For no reason. Right. You know what I mean? It, there's, a, there's a reason behind it. It's, it's a very good movie. Uh, very good quality. So uh, next week's Blu-ray review will be Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol or, a.k.a. Mission Impossible 4. But it is Ghost Protocol. So we'll see Tom Cruise. Um, Max Mincito. <laughs> on a rope. I'm sure we'll see him on a rope being lowered sure. down at some point. So yeah, that's uh, next week's review, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, so we still haven't got a new game to play here, have we? Nope. Have you, are, you, are you in any... It's not up to you, me. It's are you closer to developing to a game? Yeah. I did the last one. Oh, you said you were going to think of another one. No, I week. said mine, that we should do our game, but limit it to three things. Right. Name three movies where a big rig vehicle is a, big, is a feature or something like that. Right. I don't know what to call it. All right. I think that's a good one. All right, so next week's show, we will have that game. All right. And we will have a name for that game next week also. So uh, there's promises for you. No <laughs> game this week. So movie recommendations. I am going for, I'm based on this movie. And the base of, the base on this first one is the, from the perspective of a young boy and the sense of adventure and coping with something that you perhaps don't want to cope with. Yep. And it's where the wild things are. Which is exactly mm-hmm. deals with that exact uh, boy who goes into his own imagination to get away from what's happening in the real life, which is really almost what this movie is. But where the wild things are is more a fantasy kind of based. I really liked it. I don't think you liked it as much as me, but to this day I think about it because <laughs> I just love the visuals of it. And it has moments of I really loved it, and, and we then we still quote it, it to this day. Mm, yes, because of you this do. one particular. Line. <laughs> Go ahead, do it for the people. Uh, woman, where's my dinner? Because <laughs> he says was, that to his mother. Woman, make me food. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Where the Wild Things Are is my first one. And my second one is just for the sense of wonderment of the city and, pe- you know, people. And it's Amelie, mm. which is, it just has this sense of wonder to it, the whole movie. Like, it's not from a kid's eye, because she's not really a kid, but it feels childlike and it feels... Intimate. Yeah, and when you like, when you were a kid and you, everything was. You trust everybody and everything, yeah. and everything's yeah. It has that 
romantic view of the world to it. And it just makes you feel happy. You can watch Amelie and you will be... Definitely. ...very happy when you've come out of it. And you feel like you've experienced something. So I think those two fit in well with this movie. Yeah. Um, well, mine kind of fit with what you said. Which is Bridge to Terabithia, which is a boy coping again, and you've got imagination mixed with trauma, mixed with fear, and, you know, the idea of having to be responsible, and just being a kid, and terrible things, and all that kind of stuff mixed together. And then, because of what you just said, I'm going to go for a classic, Wizard of Oz. Because what Dorothy's experiencing is... Sort of a certain kind of oppression from the bitch downtown of, of the town of the county, trying to take her dog away, and then in her mind she's learning life lessons. Oh, I'm sorry if I'm giving it away, but I'm <laughs> in her I dream. Think, I think spoilers are um, out on a movie that's what 75, 75 years old. But in her mind, then exploring, you know, the good and the bad and fear and coping and all that stuff again. I would also throw Chronicles of Narnia movies in there because oh, sure. those children are going through world war. They're going through a war, a horrible time of... And they escape. But do they... I don't yeah. want but you know what I mean? It's an escape from yeah. being in this horrible time of period of Britain's history. Um, so yeah, there is a common theme, that, isn't it? Escaping from... What was that? Never was. Remember that one? Yes. There's another yes, one. Yes, I love. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was really yeah, good. Yeah. That one's one. better than Bridge to Terabithia, but that's really good. It's a bit more adult, Never was, because it's not. Whereas Bridge to Terabithia is more of a yeah. kid movie. Not a kid movie, but you know what I'm saying. Spiderwick Chronicles? As well. Neverland? Never was is really good, though. Uh, Ian McCallum. Neverland as well is another. Fine. Finding Neverland, or just... View of coping with something terrible and the separation of adult and children and fantasy and... Yeah. So so there we are, exploring um, this okay. theme that Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close brings to us. is not a new theme, obviously. Obviously. But this is a new way of telling it. That's why I'm saying that 9-11 isn't the thing. It's the catalyst for this story. And it brings up... And in all of those stories, when you think about it, it's all things that are unnaturally terrible. Yeah. And how in life can you put an answer to that and cope with it? How do you not just let it drive you insane? And that's kind of the theme, I think. So, games and a Scully stuff this week. What have I been playing this week? Well, the first game I've been playing this week is um, Ridge Racer Unbounded on the Xbox 360. And I said to you last week, I've been playing Ridge Racer on the Vita a lot. In fact, I've still been playing Ridge Racer on the Vita a lot. And Ridge Racer Unbounded has kind of gone within the wayside. Yeah. Um, this is all I can say, and I am a, literally a lifelong Ridge Racer fan. From Soon as day Ridge, one. For all of them. I love Ridge Racer. It's had its ups and downs. But from from Ridge Racer, the first one, until Ridge Racer Vita, which I'm playing now, I have had a very fond affection for this series. It's just my thing. I'm good at it. I, I love it. You've had some you've liked less than others. I have, and I think everybody has that in a series of things. There are obviously better ones than others. But this Ridge Racer Unbounded is the latest in the series. I'm not even going to put it in the series. Because oh, wow. it's, it's not Ridge Racer at all. Like It's not made by the Ridge Racer people. It's published by Namco. They're the people who make Ridge Racer. It's published. It's made by a company called Bugbear Games. And they made a series of racing games called Flat Out. And how I would describe the Flat Out games is the Dukes of Hazard racing games. Right. They were like hillbilly, 
what do you call them cars like just kind of hodgepodgey cars like put together from bit you know like yeah. different colored wacky races <laughs> but very a realistic like i know what you're saying like general lee that the the dukes of hazard drive in but like with like three different colored doors on it and stuff like old scrappy cars that people so flat out the games that they made was based around that and what this feels like is flat out three to me if it's by them. It feels like their games, because I've played their games. The handling is exactly like their games. The only thing that makes it Ridge Racer in any way, shape, or form is the words Ridge Racer on the title screen. So they, like, hijacked it. I think Namco think that Ridge Racer is old hat and people don't like it. Now, it doesn't sell as much as it used to do. It's kind of... It's mainly their mainly their problem because they don't know how to give you a new Ridge Racer game. They keep, as I said last week, they keep rehashing the old games and giving you them over and over again. I think Namco decided Ridge Racer needs to be something else now. People aren't really into Ridge Racer, so let's buy this other game and make it a Ridge Racer game. So what they did was they put techno music in it. And they have a sexy girl in the city at the beginning in the intro screen. Right. Which is what Ridge Racer... Ridge Racer, yeah. Ridge Racer's familiar for Raiko, the sexy girl who introduces the races, and the city of Ridge State. This doesn't take place in that city, this new one. It's... Take the words Ridge Racer out of it. It would be generic racing game number three from them. <laughs> from, you know. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like... Is it like hugely disappointing? It's, like, perfectly fine as a racing game. If it was Race 2, there is no racing game called Race as far as I know. Maybe there is. If it was a racing game called Race, the most generic racing game you could possibly get, right? Race. Then it would be fine. I'd be like, oh, there's a new racing game called Race. Yeah, it's pretty good. As a Ridge Racer game, it's not anything. Does it, like, break your heart a little bit? Um... It breaks my heart if they think this is the permanent direction to take it and Ridge right. Racer never shows its face again. Yes. But they just did the Vita one that you love. They did, but the Vita one was a big disappointment as well, as I said to you, because it's all old content. Yeah. It's like, I bought Ridge Racer 6 and Ridge Racer 7. I bought all of them. I own 6 on the 360, I own 7 on the PS3. How many Ridge Racer games have you bought through your life? At least 7. <laughs> they don't do middle ones like in between. No, there's been seven, I think. Right. Starting from the PlayStation, going through the PlayStation 2, going through the PlayStation 3, and the Xbox 360. And do you play them on different consoles as well? Are they uh, all on Sony things or whatever? Ridge Racer 6 was a 360 exclusive. Ridge Racer 7 was a PS3 exclusive. So I've played them on every... I've played all of them. The Vita one is the latest one, and I I'm, I was playing it this afternoon. You saw me mm-hmm. sat on the couch playing it. I really like it. I was, I'm kind of playing it just because I'm pissed with this one. Anyway, there's nothing wrong with Ridge Racer Unbounded. If you like Burnout and you like Need for Speed, you probably like it. But if you like Ridge Racer, I don't think you'll like it at all. Right. And why put the words Ridge Racer in it if it's not Sell that? it. Just make a new name up and sell it as your new racing game and leave Ridge Racer alone. Like, make it make new Ridge Racer... I don't know. It's weird. Um, I, I don't think Namco know what they're doing with Ridge Racer. I think for the last three years, it's kind of been. They want it to be something, and it's not. I think I say stick to the classic how it's supposed to be and make new tracks for it. That's all you need to do. Uh, the other game I've been playing this week is a new 3DS game called Kid Icarus Uprising. Now, Kid Icarus has got a long history 
And I did say the other week, I'm probably, I don't think I'm that interested in Kid, Ish- Kid Icarus because I didn't really play Kid, I- Kid Icarus on the Nintendo Entertainment System back in the 80s. I was more of a Sonic the Hedgehog man. I was I was a Sega um, console person. So I have no recollection of Kid Icarus. I went and looked at the classic one this week and it's a little cherub with angel wings, uh, like a side-on platformer where he shoots his bow and arrows at the enemies. <laughs> It looks fairly lame, to be honest. I'm sure people think that's horrible that I said that, and they've got fond memories of playing it. But I have no recollection of it, really. So Kid Icarus Uprising is the latest 3DS game, and this was a game that was promised when the launch of the 3DS happened a year ago. It was supposed to come out with it, and it never did. Now, what's the big deal about this is it's made by Sakurai. He's like the lead designer of the Super Smash Bros. Uh, Nintendo games. And I've been playing it this week, this Kid Icarus Uprising, and I have to say it's my favourite 3DS game out of all 3DS games. Really? Wow. I like it better than Resident Evil. I like it better than everything else I've played. Mario, all of it. It is... 3DS exclusive. It's a 3DS exclusive. I mean, you're saying this game is your favourite 3DS exclusive, not DS. No. Okay. So, it is a on-rails shooter kind of in the vein of your kid Icarus is an angel with wings he can shoot he has different weapons etc and it's a guided journey and you move the cursor and you can move kid Icarus it has a really weird control scheme that most people are going to say is horrible and they don't get it because the control scheme goes as follows you move the cursor where you shoot on the screen with the stylus so you aim with the stylus right by pointing it at the bottom screen. You move Kid Icarus around the screen with the uh, left thumbstick. And you shoot with the left bumper button. So, mm. does that seem uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. So, so I move, um, you move with this thumb, you press with it, and you aim with this. It's a horrible, weird control scheme that when I saw it on paper, I thought... There's no way I could play that game. I would. It, that's terrible. Now, when I bought the game this week, we went and picked it up at Best Buy. It came in a really big box, and I was like, why is it in such a big box? That's kind of weird. Is there some free gift in there? And it so happens there is a free gift in the box, and it's mm-hmm. a, a Nintendo 3DS stand that you sit on your table and you plus put your uh, Nintendo 3DS on it. Now, I thought, is that just so you can put it on the desk and watch videos? And it's like pretty cool. St- it's a pretty cool stand. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a piece, cheap piece of plastic, but it holds the 3DS perfectly. No, it's because this control method is kind of... It gives you cramp in your hand, to be honest, if you don't use the stand. Because you're holding it and... Because you're, yeah. you're, you're moving your thumb and you're shooting with your forefinger. So this hand starts to get really cramped up because you're trying to also hold the 3DS and... Support the weight of it, yeah. So... If you put the stand on your desk and then you set the 3DS on the stand, it takes the holding the weight of the 3DS away, so it means you're more accurate on the screen. Because if you're trying to hold the 3DS, do this and do the screen, it's really difficult. Now I can you reconfigure it? No, because the creator of the game thinks that, that is the best control scheme, and I kind of agree. Okay. Because you can spin around really fast with the stylus. So after you've done it a while, now you agree. I don't actually find it to be a tough control method, and I don't even use the stand. I've been p- putting it on my knee, taking the weight of the 3DS on my knee, 
using the stylus like a pen and just moving with the other hand, right? So I'm not holding it anyway. But if you were trying to hold it and play it, I could imagine you'd get cramp after one level. And a level lasts about ten minutes. I think after ten minutes you'd be done. The game is huge. It's got 25 levels and they're ten minutes each. Um, it's got land... When I just said it's an on-rail shooter, so you're basically just going and shooting stuff. Well, there's also these land-based levels where you're moving around on foot and you can spin the camera and you can shoot like a third-person shooter. Right. So it's a mixture of those two things and then boss battles as well. Now, what is magical about the game, and it literally is magical, Nintendo... I love it when you say those kind of things. Well, Nintendo have this special... I called it this week on Twitter, like a special sauce that they add to games. Nintendo. (laughs) It's the reason Nintendo are so popular. There's something, be it a console or be it a game that Nintendo make, Mario, or the 3DS, or, you know, the Wii. They sprinkle it with something that makes it like, oh, wow, uh, I have to do that. That that is something (laughs) that, well, I've never seen that, or... Thus your shirt. Special magic dust. So, um, yeah, I have a Nintendo Entertainment System controller on my shirt. So, (laughs) um, how this is, how the special magic is sprinkled into this game is... Kid Icarus and his cohort, who's a lady, she's like a god, and he's also a god, talk to each other throughout the entire game. And I'm not talking like a a line here and there. I'm talking there's a conversation going on the entire time. The conversation is touching, thought-provoking, but mostly hilarious. (laughs) Because the game is completely aware that it's a video game. So... Kid Icarus will say to his the lady she'll say something like you know you're doing really well here and he'll be going yeah that's because I've not done this for 20 years there's things like that <clears throat> he says something about Nintendogs about how <laughs> how how like after right. this he needs to go and play Nintendogs because this is this is stressful so it, he knows that it's a video game and they all know it's a video game and when a boss appears a big you know this game's in full 3D it looks amazing a boss will appear on the screen on the bottom screen which is not 3D a 8-bit sprite version of that boss will show up with his name with the name of the boss and tell you where his weak spots are or whatever but it looks like it was taken from the game 20 years ago so they know that this is you know a a you know not a remake but a retelling of a classic game Mm -hmm. um it just makes it fantastic. The voice acting is like a Saturday morning cartoon. So it's got tongue in cheek. It's you know like you know what I mean? Hey, like, let's go save the yeah. princess. Yeah, okay. and he says he says things like there's one thing where they're walking up the stairs and he's shooting his arrows because he's an angel. And uh, she says, "Wow, you're doing really good here." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to serve a quarter pounder of doom to these or something." You know, he's got like wise cracks and stuff. Right. But it's not like overly done. It's really funny. Like I say, they reference so many different Nintendo things. Um, and it's so deep. It's like a console game on the 3DS. You think, well, that doesn't sound like much. 25 levels, you're flying, you're shooting. Well, after every level, you collect these hearts and you can spend them on upgrading weapons and you can fuse weapons together to make better weapons and these things to collect and pitches to unlock. And How many hours do you think you'll be? seems like a 50-hour game to me, at least. And that's amazing for... It's not an RPG, it's an action game, you know? So, without any shadow of a doubt, if you've got a 3DS, you should have this game. 
If you're a left-handed person, and I have heard complaints that left-handed people cannot play it whatsoever, because it's actually impossible for them to play it. No, the, on KKS they said they have left-handed controls. They have left-handed controls, but the buttons on the right-hand side, the four buttons, they're your directional Right, instead of a stick. Which is really awkward, yeah. because try aiming with just buttons. You know, you have to press two together to go diagonally. Okay. It's really awkward. I, I've done that before, because the PSP used to do it a lot, before there was two sticks. It used to say, yeah, you can use this stick, and then the buttons can be your other stick. And I used to think, well, that sounds cool, then when you try and do it, you're like, wow, this doesn't work, I can't do it. So, if you're a left-handed person, I can imagine you would have complaints and, you know, the guy who invented this thing was adamant that there shouldn't really be another control scheme. This is how it's played. kind of agree with him because it is really easy to aim with, this, with the touchscreen and a stylus. But I you mean, can completely cut off half the people yeah, that they make weird. a left-handed 3DS. Yeah. I mean, Like a not? special Kid Icarus edition. No, just why not make an, a left-handed version? If you're only going to put the stick and the dots on one side or the other, or the button on one side or the other... It just seems. I mean, it's if you not think like about it, any left-handed person who could, has think to use. Think about my mouse. My mouse is so right-handed; it's not even funny. Yeah, so why not make the right-handed? Why not make the left-handed version? Actually, uh, in the news this week, Razor were talking about making a new mouse that's um, left-handed, spe- specifically left-handed for RPG players, because they make one now sure. with about twenty buttons on the side for playing Warcraft. Well, they're going to make a left-handed version of that because there was enough uproar. I wonder if there'll ever be majority of left-handed, and that someday the world will all be left and right-handed will be. I wonder why we're mostly right-handed. I think about it. What's the uh, what's the benefit? There's there no benefit because when you think about being able to just. That's a weird one. I, that game, I could imagine a left-handed people will, uh, would would have a problem with. Is it in your brain? Yeah, apparently. Or yeah. is it genetic? It's on Wikipedia. I was I was looking at it. it it's, it's in your brain. It's the way you're wired up. The right, no, you're... but that's genetic. It's not you thinking. You need no, to it's not you thinking it. You yeah. Know, it's genetic, yeah. Yeah, right. like you can't help being... You can't go, oh, no, forget that. I'll be right-handed. Right. Well, you can try, but you're still going to be better. I wonder what else that affects. Got to be something. Well, it'll definitely affect your playing of this game, Kid Icarus. <laughs> um, the game is fantastic. Uh, I got it for $26 from Best Buy, which is amazing for a brand new 3DS game. With a comes with a stand, and it also comes with a um, packet of uh, trading cards. Because this game also ties into this trading card game, Kid Icarus Trading Cards, where you saw me do it. It's like AR... Um, you point your 3DS camera at the trading card, and then whatever the trading card is the character grows out of the card and you can take photos of it. Uh, and you can fight them against each other, I learned this week. So if you've got two different cards, they'll fight and then you will get items in the right. game from their fight. So that's also interesting. Um, I guarantee you the next Pokemon game mm-hmm. that Nintendo make comes with trading cards because, wow, that's a cash cow waiting to happen, isn't it? Making yeah. them buy cards to... Uh, they love the environmentalists on them for that, though. Yeah. So, yeah, Kid Icarus Uprising... Fantastic. I can't stress how good it is. It's the 3DS game. If you've got a 3DS or you are thinking of a 3DS, it should be the game you get with it. Uh, And the final game we've been playing this week, which I can't really comment on that much, is Luminez Electronic Symphony, which is the new Luminez game on the Vita. I have not played enough of it to comment, but if you like Luminez, I think you're going to like it. Do you like Luminez? I love Luminez. In fact... (laughs) My PS, my PSP. When I bought, I bought Luminez when I first bought my PSP, and it literally sat in the thing. 
mm-hmm. the entire time I had the PSP. It only came out occasionally to, so I'd play something else, because I always wanted to play it. Now on the um, Vita, it'll probably be jammed yeah, in we there. also played on your PS3. Yeah, I did. I play, I play, I, in fact, I played it here it's on my PS3. It's good music, it's kind of like in the zone kind of a game. The new version has a, more house music than the old mm. ones did. It's, it's kind it's of... hard for me. Yeah, it's kind of based in... It, the music on this new one is lots of house music, whereas the older ones had a little bit of house music and a lot of uh, Japanese kind of J-rock or pop, you know, the cutesy japanese kind of music. This has really got some hardcore techno and stuff. It's got... You know, uh, 808 State are in there, and The Beloved, and, you know, it's a lot of... You can tell whoever chose the music for the game is about my age and probably went to clubs when I did. Right. Because it's that kind of music. Uh, so that's Luminous Ledge. I'll talk about it more next week when I've actually unlocked some more of it and played it a bit more. Uh, so that's it for this week. Um, and there isn't anything coming out next week. I usually tell you what will come out next week. I don't think there is anything, so... That's it. What percentage of the people who listen to this do you think care about video games? Uh, probably Have you done a, a survey? No. <laughs> who's listening for the movies? Who's listening for the games? And who wants to care about... What's your next question? Sid so. What's for dinner? How many people do you think listen just for this portion? Uh, probably a few. Three. Three and a half. Three out of 10,000 or whatever. Three and a half. Yeah. Interesting. What is for dinner is... Vegetable curry but it's a korma sauce we bought that uh, yeah. is called good korma I hope it tastes good I don't have good I do. feelings about it but I'm feelings. going to microwave the veggies then pan fry them a little bit then put in the sauce we've got some eggplant roasting right now which I have no idea how that's going to turn out because I decided to throw it in there before we got started I'm going to make some plain basmati rice we shall see how it goes we will report next week how the I think it's called tasty T A S T Y is the. I said I saw it in the health in the health food section of Hy-Vee, and I said we got to try it at least yeah, one absolutely. of them because it might be the most delicious sauce we've ever had, and you can throw that on rice, and it's really. And delicious. my favorite is korma, of course, and it's like a coconut cashew tomato sauce with onion flavor, and then curry and, spices. And when we were really excited about having an Indian restaurant where we live open, oh, it's so sad. This week we um we realized that we don't have one anymore. It's uh, closing down <laughs> because. Nobody's going there. Because it's not very good. It is it's not very, very good. It's very sad. I mean, the korma we got, the, the korma I got this week. It's really average. It was average, but it was good. It wasn't gross or anything like the yeah. other place we but, tried. But, but most of that stuff you got this week the was The navrat was gross, gross. Yeah. and the samosas were gross. Oh, so unfortunate. But then when he said, <laughs> I walked in and he goes, oh, the fantastic Cindy. Yes, I haven't seen you since when? Uh, December, right? And that was like this weird... He said. He actually said the, the, the day. The day, like December 15th or something. And I was like... Why? Um, How do you know that? I guess. Um, I don't know. I think the way he knew that was you were the last person to come in. <laughs> and that's why he's closed out. On December the 15th. <laughs> when you, you came in for the curry December the 15th. <laughs> and now in March, you were the last one and in. And every day since we're like, come on, Cindy, come on, please Cindy, come back. Fantastic, Cindy, come in. Come in. We have to close down if she don't come in soon. Oh, here she is. Now we're closing. <laughs> <laughs> I spent 30 bucks. What does he want me? What does he want? It, while I was waiting for the food, though, I went into the 60s shop, which is right next door. It's called the 60s shop, of course. It's got everything. It's got, uh, what did they call it? Artful, useful glass. I think we all know what that means. You mean bongs? Some. 
other things as well. And then it's got like incense and t-shirts and everything. And the girl who's working there was very, very awesome. She was like a very thin, very pale, redheaded young lady. And her hair was completely 100% dreadlocked, like the real natural kind, not like a fakey looking kind. Like she lives the life. And she was like, oh, it's so awesome. I've been like sewing and... I got, like, a sewing machine at Goodwill, and it's so awesome, and I bought, like, really large size clothes and, like, cut them up. I got, like, these really big pants. I made two skirts out of them. It was so awesome. You're making me feel stoned just <laughs> listening to the voice. That was, was kind of the vibe I was getting. But she did show me this bag she had sewn, and it was really awesome, like a I said, oh, my drawing pads would fit, and they're awesome. She goes, oh, I know, man. Like, my boyfriend, he carries his drawing pads and his drumsticks around with him. Here's, like, a pocket for his drumsticks. And here's, like, a bite. <laughs> and I, I apologize, listeners, for the use, the copious use of the word awesome during awesome. this segment. It's so awesome. Oh, my God, it's so cool. <laughs> uh, like, it was, it was fun, though. She was very charming. In fact, I liked her and her store, even though I bought only, like, $1 worth of incense. Then, more than the... Uh, the Indian guy. So anyway, we're back to square one. If we want a curry, we have to drive 40 miles. Or hopefully this one. <laughs> I mean, I can make them homemade. It's just not... If I really followed the recipes and the, used uh, all of the ingredients properly and followed the ingredients, I mean, the recipes correctly, it would be the same. So, you know, if I just got to really do it. But this will let you know next week how it goes. All right. So anything else? Yeah. Don't underestimate young people. Because if you don't, in case you've forgotten, you were a young person. And we did go to see a young person. In we a, did. A, we, we go to see our nephew in, um, he's in the school drama club, and we go and see them whenever he puts them on. This one wasn't strictly his thing. No, he went to his, the middle school. He's in high school now. He went back to the middle school to help them out or to be part of it. And it was so we went to it last night. And the kids were fantastic. Yeah, but the, pres- the presentation was actually... It was a dinner theater, which was put on, like, sponsored by a local um, pet pantry who helped people who were poor with food for their pets and whatnot. And um, so the everything was very nice. They made a huge effort. All the tables were decorated with, like, you know, doggy treats and the placemats and the little bowls of puppy chow, which and they fed most women food. will know that puppy chow is Chex Mix covered with chocolate bark covered with powdered sugar for the snack and all this kind of stuff, you know, and... They had a spaghetti dinner, which we don't eat meat, so we just opted out of dinner altogether, just in case, because you never know. And um, the, t- as with every performance, the technical difficulties suck the life out of it. It took an extra hour and a half, almost. It was a long it was show. To. Yeah, three hours almost. And the guy in charge pisses me off intensely. I realize he's already got a big big huge stuff on his plate. I felt I sorry for him at times. I didn't feel sorry for him because he constantly blames someone else. He's yeah. in fucking charge. Okay? I said if I was his boss the next week, I'd like to think of myself as a very, very cool kind of supervisor person. If I was the manager or the superintendent or whatever the hell it is of a school and I had he had me to answer to, I would have been pissed off. Because he made some of those kids feel so bad. Yeah. And had to make them redo their performances because he didn't get his shit together. In fu- in two minutes, in the beginning of that show, all he had to do was grab the wired microphones, like he did when, an hour and a half into the show. We haven't explained. The microphones were mostly not working right. throughout the entire thing. And it was a massive room, so 
we couldn't, couldn't hear anything. Hear it. And he um, turned the music up really loud, and so the kid would be on the stage, and you could hear this. And you know, like it's a full PA system, so occasionally there would be feedback. <gasps> like if you ever go to a concert and there's feedback for it, it almost deafens everybody. Everybody. That happened a lot. Many times. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't blame other people for that. But ultimately, all that he had to have done from the very beginning was every kid who came... Because it was basically one kid at a time. There were a couple of group yeah. performances. But it was usually one kid at a time doing a solo. All he had to do was hand them a wired microphone and everything mm. was good. Which is what they did near the end. Yeah. And then it worked fine. But he made the kids... I think in the end, it was very discouraging. One kid who performed about four different songs. By the end, he was just kind of like, dude, what do you want us to do? Like, But they, the kids were fantastic. They had practiced... With the exception of one girl who kind of got lost on my favorite things. She yeah, it was uh, <laughs> we, it was musicals. It was right. basically just random numbers from different musicals. musicals. Annie, uh, Grease, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and she Susical. was singing a few of my favorite things from Sound of Music. She got confused, and then she just walked off the stage all embarrassed. And she came back. She came back, did her thing. Um, there was, was one. Fine. There was one girl who sounded absolutely professional. Yeah. If I'd have seen her on America's Got Talent or whatever, she wouldn't have seemed out of place. Absolutely. She um, was one of the... Like an opera type singer, yeah. She was fantastic. I was like, holy crap. And her microphone was fine. Yep. Because she was had the wired one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was two hours and 15 minutes into the show. Maybe so, she wasn't that fantastic. It was just like we don't not heard uh, Yeah, talk. well, don't underestimate kids. Young people. They're not... They're You know what they are? They're just you. 20, 30, 50 years ago. However old you are. But when you just... When you put them at a disadvantage by underestimating them, then you just you're confirming every lack, every reason that you've ever had to lack confidence in yourself. It's because people didn't have confidence in with you you in your younger years. So if you build that in people when they're young, they're just they're humans, right? And they're gonna have to make their way in the world. They're not they're not idiots. They're not stupid. Actually, it they haven't had the experiences yet to learn about life, and it's your responsibility. To build them up, not tear them down. And it ties in well with this movie, because look at this kid actor in Absolutely. Here. I mean, a, a kid who's never acted. Somebody who's getting encouragement. This, and this kid, there's a scene in the extras where there's a problem that needs to be solved on the set. Yeah. This kid solves it for a bunch of adults who are stood around scratching their heads. And he just shrugs his shoulder. Hey, what? Yeah, why what? don't you do this, dudes? And they're all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we tend to overthink things as older. But we're them. That's my point. Yeah. They see things through this We're fresh. children. We're just humans. We're just in a different stage of our life. So don't underestimate young people. So is that everything for this week? Yes. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. I want to remind you about our website, sayschoolie.com, sidtalk.com. You can go there. You can have fun. You can read pages. They're the best websites on the internet. You reckon? Correct. I'm not sure. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Xbox Live, YouTube, the Zoom Marketplace, the RSS feed on com, or iTunes Music Store. You can get this podcast from literally anywhere on the planet. You can just stand, and if you just think about it really hard, it might just soak into your brain from wherever you are. It is available <laughs> anywhere there is an internet. Telepathically, page. that will be coming in the future. You can email feedback to me at com. Oh, we, I forgot to mention that. Uh, we saw a fantastic movie for seven ninety nine on Blu-ray in the bin at Best Buy. Johnny Mnemonic. It's not a fantastic movie. <laughs> ahead of its time, though. No one can argue with me on it that. It is, one. but it's not a fantastic no, movie. No, but it is ahead of its time. I love that if you go to Best Buy and you're rummaging through the bin, <laughs> look at the cover of Johnny Mnemonic on Blu-ray. Oh, 
It's yeah. Just, it's Neo it's really, coming at you. It's really funny. <laughs> With a blurry background. It's like it was... It's your thing you like. He's really clear and the background. It's like blurry. they made it after the Matrix and said, make it look a bit more Matrixy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> then we can sell it, you know. So, yeah, it's... um. No, it's not a great movie. <laughs> it is before its time. Absolutely. But it's not a great movie. Um, and it is seven ninety nine at Best Buy, and that is not a commercial. <laughs> you can email feedback to me at com. Don't email Sid Talk. Uh, I want to say, um, stay classy, Mr. Thomas Horn. I think we'll see more of this uh, lad in future films. Hopefully. He did a great job. And I'm going to say, think for yourself, because if you don't do it, someone will be doing it for you.